Good morning and welcome to Wednesday morning, November the 11th in 2020 on Winter Rise. We're currently in year A, proper week 20, which is the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. And on Wednesdays, we take a look at one of the auxiliary passages of the week. We do, you know, the Old Testament on Monday, Psalms on Tuesday, uh, New Testament on Thursday, Gospel on Friday. And so Wednesday is this open time for us to pick one of the other texts. And so I want to pick one that maybe you haven't read before, or if you have, maybe it's been a while, but it's Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, and then verses 12 through 18. So I'll read that passage, provide a couple points for reflection, and then we'll spend our time praying along this theme. So thanks for making this part of your morning on Winter Rise. Let's allow our souls to rise and be God together in a time of prayer. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 7, and then verses 12 through 18. Be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has consecrated those he has invited. At that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps and punish those who are complacent, who are like wine left on its dregs, who think the Lord will do nothing, either good or bad. The wealth will be plundered, their houses demolished. Though they build houses, they will not live in them. Though they plant vineyards, they will not drink the wine. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be like a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and a battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towns. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. In the fire of his jealousy, the whole earth will be consumed, for he will make a sudden end of all who lived on the earth. This is the word of God for us. Yeah, there's nothing quite like greeting the morning with a passage where that talks about their blood being poured out like dust and their entrails like dung, right? So what is going on here in the book of Zephaniah? Well, let's just give some background information and then we'll get to the heart of it. A Zephaniah is a prophet in the land of Judah. Remember, the in the Old Testament, Israel is divided into two kingdoms, ten northern tribes and two southern tribes. And in 586-587 BC, we know that Babylon comes in and... Uh, demolishes the people of Judah, the southern kingdom, and they carry them off into exile. And about 150 years before that or so, uh, the northern kingdom is overtaken by Assyria. So this is a people that that are used to being harassed by surrounding nations. And uh, this, the threat of destruction is ever imminent upon this people at this time. Um, but this, this is an interesting book because Zephaniah sees the destruction that's coming. We know that towards the end of the time of Judah, a great king, a king that honors God, he rises. His name is Josiah. He becomes king very early. And he tries his best to reform the people to follow after God again. But it seems like Israel, sorry, Judah is too far gone. And there is just no point uh, where they can turn around and return back to God. And so Josiah in his passion goes out to war and he leads Judah upon this collision course with being in confrontation with the Babylonians. And then years later, 
they are taken over by them. And so, uh, uh, sorry, Zephaniah is talking about this destruction. And he does it a couple different ways. Uh, he was a poet, and so he's writing a few different poems. But first in Genesis, sorry, in Zephaniah chapter 1, he talks about the destruction of uh, Judah itself. And he does so in some stark terms here. Sometimes, as a writer would say, sometimes you have to overstate your point to make it right. I mean, uh, Zephaniah is describing quite the moment here where everything that is alive will be extinguished of its life because of God's judgment. And so where is the hope in this passage? Uh, It seems like there's just a bitter end for the people of God. Well, for Zephaniah, he sees hope because he doesn't see Babylon as the entity, as the force that's coming against the people of Judah, but it's God himself. And if it's God himself, then there's a chance that if they turn and repent, that God will relent and show his mercy. Uh, So that's the pattern that Zephaniah is is leaning upon here. God's one who's behind this. He's powerful enough to do it. But if we repent as his people, God has shown a pattern where he shows mercy instead of judgment whenever people choose to repent. And so this is just one sampling of what happens in the book of Zephaniah. But at the end, there's this great conclusion because after there's been this prophecy of destruction to come upon the people of Judah and then all the rest of the nations as some of the other parts of the book describe. At the very end, it's a healed world, a world that is restored again, where it's not just one nation that inhabits the earth like the people of Judah, but it's all people living together in harmony. And what we see is that even though Zephaniah chapter 1 talks about like a great unraveling of God's world, a great unraveling of Genesis chapter 1, there's actually a great restoration. And if you remember back in Genesis chapter 12, God promised one man, Abraham, that he'd become a family, that would become a nation, that would bless all nations. And so what we see is that even though it seems like things are being torn apart, that God is going to put them back together. Perhaps the most memorable part of this book is something that you've read before in Zephaniah chapter 3. Um, When Zephaniah talks about who God is, he talks about him like a poet. I mean, Zephaniah is a poet. And as Zephaniah is imaging God, he images God as a poet who sings songs over his people. And so even though God is seen as one who's wrath-filled in this first part of the book, he does lead towards a restoration. So what can we cling to today uh, very shortly? I think at times, uh, if we live long enough, if we tune in enough, we see that things are unraveling. Even scientists would suggest that much of the world around us, all of it is heading towards entropy, right? Like um, our our earth is going to be absorbed into the sun. The sun will um, explode at some point millions of years down the road. We're on a collision course with that. We see entropy in our friendships around us. We see entropy in marriages. We see entropy in uh, human relationships. We see entropy in our bodies. Uh, We see entropy in our best laid plans in churches and in groups of people wanting to do all that we can for Jesus. And we got all this great momentum and all of a sudden things get in the way and what started off as a good thing turns into a languishing thing and so what can we say what we can say is this is that if God's behind it all that even in seasons of entropy there is hope for it to be raised again in fact the resurrection of Jesus gives us a brand new operating software to see all things Jesus himself was exposed to complete and utter entropy, but God raised him and God vindicated him. And so there is hope for us as well. And that's one of the pieces of Zephaniah's messages. And so I don't know what's in your life right now. Something that you feel like is unraveling slowly, like there's a death by a thousand paper cuts. Maybe it's a thing that you're trying to do, a vision, something that you've planned for. Maybe it's a relationship that you've been trying to work on and it doesn't seem like to ever be getting better, right? This is nothing but disagreements or arguments. 
just know that if God is still in it, there still is a chance for resurrection. And so let's cling to that resurrection hope this morning as you spend some time with God in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're a kind and gracious and compassionate God. Lord, we see evidence of brokenness all around us, things unraveling, things that are just not fitting together. And there's desperate attempts to try to make it better, and that even unravels. And so, God, what hope is there for us? We thank you that we stand alongside Zephaniah this morning, that even though we can articulate and even though we can say with with facts and with objectivity that things aren't so well in our world, we thank you that that doesn't get the last word. What gets the last word is resurrection and hope and life. God, we thank you that though the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you have come to give us life and to give it in abundance. And so, God, this day, we choose your way. And we choose to lean into the hope of the resurrection. And so, God, that we see brokenness all around us. May we see signs of resurrection as we move in and among the people of God and uh, other groups of people in our workplace and stuff like that. May we be heralds of good news and may we see resurrection in life. And God, may it begin within us. May we see even the broken places within us being repaired and restored and life springing up from the midst of it. So God, be with us today. Allow us to have the lens of resurrection on our eyes so that we could witness what you're doing in the world around us. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.